dokies. Um, hi guys. Uh, my name is Excel. Welcome to our podcast. Um, so today's my turn to talk about my testimony. Um, and I'm a big definition person, so I looked up what testimony means. Um, and like many of us know already, a testimony is your story of how you came to meet Jesus and you became a Christian, right? Um, but there was another definition. There's also the definition for testimony that's like in the court of law. But the one that was super interesting to me, and I don't know why, was um, evidence or proof provided by the existence or appearance of something. So I just thought that was kind of cool because it's like, that's kind of what our testimony is. It's evidence and it's proof of our existence and that our appearance has changed or something has changed. So I just thought that was really cool and I wanted to share. But to begin, um, I've been a Christian my whole life. Uh, so whenever I get asked like, oh, can you share your testimony or, you know, anything like that? I never really know what to say um, because for me, it hasn't really been one defining moment where it's like, this is it. This is where I met Jesus. For me, it's been like little realizations over time. And I know that probably a lot of people who have grown up being Christians, it's kind of the same thing. Um, so I, I would always say that I didn't have a testimony, but I definitely do now that I've realized what it means and what that means for me specifically. Um, so today I'm not going to be able to tell you like, this is the one moment, like I won't tell you a date and a time and a place, but I could definitely tell you um, part of my story um, as much as I can in the next few minutes. Um, but kind of like memo situation, you know, I was born in Mexico and my parents um, immigrated from Mexico. Um, when I was four months old, my mom, my dad was already in the US and my mom and my older brother and I were in Mexico. And when I was four months old, they were like, let's go, we're going with your dad. Um, so I grew up in Santa Barbara, California, beautiful city, I love it. Um, and my dad back then, was a drunk and he was a mean drunk. Um, and my mom was gonna leave him and you know, all that situation if if you know about it, if you've been through something like that. But um, there was one day where there were people knocking on doors, you know, the good old strategy, let me just go knock on doors and tell people about Jesus. And that's how my mom became a Christian. And her first pastor was that person that knocked on her door. Um, and since then I've grown up in the church, um, and that specific church, I went to that church for a very long time. I grew up there. I made some of my lifelong friends there. Um, I fell in love there for the first time. If that's what you want to call it when you're 12, you know? Um, but it's also where I, where I became the most insecure person, um, and where life got really tough for me. Uh, and that's mostly because I didn't know who I was. I wasn't really taught who I was. Um, so at this point, uh, my parents are um, leaders. We've been in church for a while and they've gone up in rank, if that's what you want to call it. And 
they're looked up to, they're respected. And when you're at that point, and I don't know why, especially back then, I don't know if it's because we were just ignorant to what Christianity was actually like, but back then you were expected to do certain things as a leader and expected to be seen a certain way. Um, And because of their position, I was also expected to be seen that way. Um, So I kind of just became who everyone wanted me to be. Um, I'm a very big people pleaser up to this day. I work so hard on remembering who I am and what I want and what God wants for me before anybody else. But it's hard because I want to make people happy. Um, And that started from my childhood. Um, And because of that, and because I was Maddie and Victor's daughter, I had to dress a certain way. I had to talk a certain way. Um, Even the way that I spoke Spanish had to be good. Um, Like even even to this day, like I get compliments on how good my Spanish is. But the only reason I learned Spanish that good was so I could be seen and portrayed a certain way. I appreciate that I learned Spanish now because it definitely helps me, but it wasn't necessarily for myself. Um, But I was doing things that not even the pastor's kids had to do. Like I was such a people pleaser. I was easily molded and I lived my life as a child on a very fine line. And I felt like I was always walking on a tightrope. And like, if I would make a mistake, I would fall to my doom and like everything was over. Um, And if I made a mistake, everyone that knew me would have something to say about it. And there was one one time the story, sidetrack, but this story, there was one time we were in Sunday school and there was a teacher um, who was misinterpreting a passage in the Bible. And we like, for some reason, my family and I had just read this passage and I like had a clear vision of what it meant and what it was supposed to be. And I was probably like 10. So I like raised my hand and I tell this hermana, I'm like, hermana, I'm sorry, but that's wrong. <laughs> and I don't remember how nice or how polite I was and what I was saying because I was little. So I really don't remember, but I tr- I remember always trying my best to be so kind. Um, but lady got so mad at me. I got yelled at by her. I got yelled at by her daughter. I got kicked out of Sunday school and I had to go sit with my parents in the service. And I was so upset and so annoyed. And I just, I guess I haven't gotten over it. <laughs> But yeah, and I, I got kicked out of Sunday school a few times, um, most of them for doing things like that, or for laughing too much. But um, I don't blame the place that I grew up in, for all the things that I struggle with now, I just think it's, they never taught me who I was in Christ. And I think that's one of the most important things to teach someone when they first come to the Lord is who they are. Um, So I thought that appearances and what others thought about me and my family was what was most important. So I tried to uphold that all the time. Um, And then my older brother, I don't know how he dealt 
with all the pressure because if I had this pressure, I'm so sure that he did as well. And um, so for those of you who don't know, I have an older brother. His name is Angel. Um, he's four years older than me. He's what, does that make him 20, 23, 27? Um, but yeah, and I love this kid with all my heart. And it's taken me a very long time to get to the place where I'm like, I love my brother. But um, he started doing drugs, started hanging out with not the right crowd, um, started not being who I knew that he was. And that was very hard on me because my older brother was my best friend for the first like 12, 13 years of my life. And then one day it was just, he was a completely different person. Um, and in 2010, um, him and a friend decided that they were going to go tag on the freeway. So on some like bridge or something. So they had to cross the freeway to the other side. Um, and I don't remember if it was because they were already being followed by uh, police or something, but they had to go and they had to go fast. So his friend went first. He was able to make it across. My brother hesitated a little bit before he ran and he got hit by a car. Um, and this was at like 6.30, 7 in the morning. And that the freeway is pretty empty at that time. So people are driving faster than they should. And I think from what I remember, this car was driving maybe about 80, if not more. Um, so when he got hit, he flew across the freeway, this uh, like the length of like a football field, if not more. Um, and he landed. And now that I think back at this story, I think about how God was in the details and every single little detail because he landed someone saw the first person that stopped to help was someone who was on their way to their church morning prayer. So he saw, got out of his car. My brother was still for some miraculous reason conscious. And he was able to tell the person what his name was because the person was like, what's your name? Like, I'm going to pray for you. And he was able to say angel. Um, so from the beginning, he was already being prayed for. Like as soon as this accident happened he was already being prayed for the second person that stops is a paramedic on his way to work like only god only god like when i look at these little details i'm like you're so amazing that you literally take care of us even in the situations where we've chosen to do things wrong you're still taking care of us um so people were praying for my brother helping my brother before we even knew what was happening. And I was at the house, I remember I got up, I was getting ready for school. I was, I think in seventh grade. Um, and I had just gotten up, I was gonna get dressed and my mom's freaking out. And I could see her kind of like pacing around and you know how moms just know. And she's like freaking out and she heard an ambulance. And she's like, mm -mm, something's wrong, something's wrong. And she goes to our neighbor's house because my brother was with, um, the neighbor's son, and sh she's feeling the same exact way. And she's like, something's wrong, something's wrong. So they're both already praying too. My mom comes back home, I'm getting ready. I'm already like eating breakfast and there's a knock on the door. I open the door and it's a police officer. So I call my mom over and 
he tells us what's going on and the dramatic, like you see it in the movies where the mom's like, no, no, that's literally what happened. Um, but yeah, so then I'm calling my dad and I'm like, I don't know what's happening. You have to come home. Angel's in the hospital. Um, and so I stay home by myself with my little brother because Matthew was, I don't know, like three, four. Um, but this whole situation happens and it's a very long story that we don't have time for. So if you ever want to know, shoot me a message. We can go have some coffee and talk about it. But um, I remember throughout the situation, I did not let myself feel any of my emotions. Because um, of course I was scared. I didn't know what was happening. The first like three days was your son might die. Your brother might die. We don't know what's going on. Um, so it was a lot of back and forth of, I don't have a brother anymore. And then it's like, oh, well, maybe I do. No, I don't. Um, but then throughout that first week, it literally, like he became the miracle boy at the hospital because he was supposed to be dead. My brother has had to have died so many times already, but the Lord has been over his life, like in the most incredible way, like this this kid has nine lives, literally, like he probably should have been dead five times already. Um, and I feel like a lot of my story, cause you might think like, well, you're telling me your brother's testimony, but a lot of his testimony has to do with me because I lived through it with him. And a lot of this has defined who I am as a person. Um, so he ends up not dying. And there's so many little, little miracles that happen throughout those weeks, those months where like his pelvis was broken. He wasn't going to walk. We were going to have to teach him to eat and talk. And he wasn't going to know who we were. Bro, the bro woke up like three days later and they had to put him back to sleep because he was moving too much. And the first thing that he said when he woke up was, where's my dad? The second thing that he did was praise Jesus. Like he literally was singing worship music that was what he was doing and the doctors had told us you're gonna have to teach him how to do everything again so it's just so amazing everything that happened throughout that story but for me it was you're not allowed to feel what you're feeling because you have to be strong for your parents because they're already dealing with enough and I had a little brother and now I realize that I Put the burden on myself to have to take care of him. Nobody put it on me. So I can't blame anybody for that. Um, but I basically became my little brother's mom and I grew up from one day to another. Um, and we definitely struggled a lot emotionally. Um, and for me, it was a lot of just shutting down. A few years pass. My brother's still, you know, doing drugs, not being the holy man that he should be, for lack of better words. Um, he ends up in jail. And to make that story shorter, he ends up in jail. Um, we go the day that we're supposed to pick him up. And we're waiting in the car. We're waiting. We waited hours. Like, even just remembering like all four of us sitting in our car waiting for him to come out and he's not coming out like that feeling of like 
where is he? He's not coming. He's not coming. Um, and when we finally get a phone call, literally like five hours after we literally have been sitting there, nobody moved. We're just waiting. He's in Orange County at the deportation center. So he was at the, the county jail in Orange for about six months. And we would go back and forth every Sunday to go visit him. Um, and I don't know how many of you guys have had to deal with having someone in jail. It sucks. Like walking in there, being like checked and then not being able to hug your sibling or your son, your daughter, like it really sucks. Um, and all of that stuff, just like I kept keeping it inside and I, I wouldn't talk to anyone. I didn't think I was allowed to talk about it and let myself feel it because I didn't want to be a burden for my parents because they already had enough on their shoulders. Um, we go to a few lawyers, we figure out like if he's going to be able to stay, what we should we do? Um, and everyone thankfully was so kind and they're like, we don't want to steal your money. This isn't going to be something that we can fight. So he himself decided to leave. So my brother ends up getting deported and he's been living in like TJ Rosarito for the past, I was in 2016. So what's that like five years? Um, so he's been over there for a while now. Um, but that day that he, that he left and it wasn't even the day that he was deported. It was the day that we didn't pick him up from the, from jail. I felt like something inside me died. Um, I felt like even my brother died, um, who I knew was gone. And I didn't let myself mourn that loss. Um, so all of this, right, piling up on and on and on. And because I'm such a people pleaser and I'm very empathetic, so I feel everybody else's emotions and I take them upon myself which I think is my greatest gift, but also my greatest downfall. Um, I was a very sad, insecure, lonely person. Um, and I still struggle with that to this day where I go back to those feelings of not feeling important, of not feeling wanted. Um, and I don't blame anybody for that because my parents were busy trying to figure out what to do with their eldest son. And I totally understand that. Um, I'm also a middle child and middle child syndrome is a real thing. You definitely do get, I wouldn't say ignored, but most people think you know what you're doing and you got everything, you know, easily accounted for and you're, you could do everything yourself, but no, I cannot. <laughs> Personally, I cannot. Um, but all that stuff piling on and I felt like every time I just felt more lonely and more sad and I fell into a very, very deep depression. And this was after I graduated high school, I was about to start college. And this is when my brother got deported, when everything kind of happened. Um, so when I started college, I maybe went to class 
for the first week. And then I was just like, I can't, I can't do this. And I would stay in bed all day. I wouldn't do anything. Um, And coming from a Hispanic household and a household that was struggling with their mental health, because we all were struggling. We might not have talked about it back then, but we were all struggling so hard. Um, And we didn't talk about it because appearances. Um, My mom would just say that I was being lazy and I, I needed to get up, I needed to do things. And, but I just, I physically could not get out of bed some days. Uh, and I love my mom. I love her so, so much. And I know that the things that she has said sometimes to me are not out of malice, but just out of her not knowing. And the one time that I was actually able to speak up for myself and be like, mom, I want to die. She told me to stop being so dramatic. Um, And I know she didn't mean it in any way because she was dealing with her own stuff. Like her son had just been deported. And if I was feeling the way that I was feeling, I can't even imagine how she was feeling. Um, So that sank me into an even, even deeper depression. And I never got to the point where I actually acted out on my suicidal thoughts, but I got to the point where I would start writing to people. Um, I think I might even have some of those letters because I don't want to forget where God took me out from. Um, And I only read those when I absolutely need them, you know? But it's so, so, so crazy to me that even throughout all of that, my hope and my refuge was Jesus. Because I know that if it hadn't been for him, I wouldn't be here anymore. I would have gone through with it. Because I even started thinking about the ways that I could kill myself. Um, And all this is going on. I'm trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. I'm like starting college. I'm flunking out of college. Like two months in and I'm like what the heck am I going to do with my life like I can't be more of a disappointment than I already am because that's what I felt like because I didn't know who I was um and I started cosmetology school and that was so much fun I loved cosmetology school I made such great friends and that definitely helped for a little bit And then I had to be an adult. And once I had to be an adult, that transition was really hard. Um, And I was dealing with all these emotions that I had never been able to feel or had allowed myself to feel. Um, And that one of those times was the first time that I finally told someone that back when I was maybe about six, seven years old, I was molested and I didn't think that I could say that um, because it was my friends. It was these girls that I would hang out with all the time and they were a little bit older than I was. They were like 11, 12. And at that point I was like six, seven. Um, And it was just one of those things where it was like embarrassing because I'm like, well, how am I supposed to tell someone when like, you just don't think it's, you know, I, I don't know how to explain it because it's still something I don't talk about so, so freely and openly because it's 
I'm still trying to heal that part of my story. Um, but I was finally able to talk about it, get it out in the open. Um, cause I've realized now that I do allow myself to feel and to share my emotions, that's the best way to heal is to actually talk about it. If you don't talk about it, it stays hidden in the dark and that just eats you alive. Um, but I realized that none of these things defined who I was because of that. Because when I got molested, there were certain things that started happening in my life that then ended up having an issue with pornography. And as a girl and a Christian, that's hard to admit in public um, because most people see that as a, an issue for men, but women struggle with it as well. And I also started having issues with well, do I like girls? Like, why do I think this is a, like, why am I attracted? Why like, and so I was like, what the heck, what's going on? And I, I was taught my whole life that that was wrong. So then I felt gross. I felt dirty. I felt like God didn't love me. Um, and I didn't know how to talk about it. I didn't know who to talk about it with. Um, and those struggles that are embarrassing to talk about are the ones that you need to talk about. You need to get those out in the open, like I was saying, because once I finally told someone like, hey, I'm struggling with this, I was like, okay, I, I can get over this hurdle in my life. And what I realize now is that that's something that you're gonna struggle with forever. If you have an issue, if you deal with this temptation, that's on a daily. It's literally on a daily. And the only way you can get over this is being in a relationship with Jesus Christ because it's like drinking. If you don't actively stay away, you're not going to. Um, but throughout my whole life, like I started at the beginning, it was appearances. What do I look like to other people? What are they saying about me? What do they think about me? If someone sees me, what? And so I think that's why it was so hard for me to admit what was happening in my life. First of all, that I was struggling with depression. Second of all, that I wanted to kill myself. Third of all, that I was dealing with pornography. So it was like all these things piling up and piling up and I just didn't know what to do. And I felt like I was gonna explode. Um, and thankfully I've made some great friends who have let me be myself and let me talk and not judge. And I think that's the most important thing is finding the people around you that love you no matter what your mistakes are, um, no matter what you do. Even if you slip up again, they're still gonna love you and they're gonna be there to uphold you. Um, and the people that are gonna do that for you are most likely your parents, your pastors, and the people that love you at church. So you got to choose your circle very wisely. Um, and I know that sometimes it's hard to talk to your parents, to talk to like the adults in your life, um, which is why 
there's people like Memo and I who can help you if you ever need to talk to someone because we understand, we get it like 100%. Like life is hard and things happen. But throughout my whole story and my whole journey that's still going, like I have stayed on course with who Jesus has told me I am. And my like life verse, I'm going to read it for you guys. My life verse is Isaiah 43, 43.2, but I love the whole, the whole um, chapter, but it starts with, I'll start from one. It says, but now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. The one who formed you says, do not be afraid for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And this is my favorite part. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. And verse, the beginning of verse three says, for I am the Lord your God. In that verse has literally been my life saver. Like I hold on to that on days where I feel like I can't anymore. Um, just this morning was like that for me. I had a full blown panic attack because I struggle with those. I forgot to say that I struggle with panic attacks and anxiety. Um, and I literally was like freaking out. I felt like I couldn't breathe. I was dying. I was like, I think I should like go to my neighbor's house because I was home alone. I didn't know what to do. Um, and one of my friends actually burned that verse on like a piece of wood and I have it in my room and I started reading it over and over and over. And that's, that's what we're supposed to do when we need help, when we're in our darkest moments, God wants to be there for us. And I think that's the hardest thing for me to have learned is to know that I don't have to go through this by myself, that there's someone who's always there because I grew up doing everything by myself. I grew up thinking that I was by myself. So letting God love me has been hard, which is why I don't know if you guys have noticed whenever I talk about God's love, I talk about it so often because I need to remind myself that I'm allowed to be loved, that I am worthy of love. Um, because even to this day, I still struggle with that. I really, really do. Um, but it's an everyday reminder. I created you from the beginning. I formed you in your mother's womb. You're wonderfully made. You're perfect. Um, repeating those things over and over to yourself is so important. And I know that not just girls and women struggle with this, but I'm going to focus on that for a little bit. Um, but as a woman, we need to learn to find our worth in Jesus Christ, because we're not going to find our worth in a man. We're not going to find our worth in our beauty or 
in what we have in our money and what our careers are, how many kids we have. None of that determines our worth. The only person who determines how worthy you are is Jesus. And he made you perfect from the beginning, um, regardless of what you've been through, of what you struggle with, he still sees you that way. And that's something that I've had to learn over time. And I get reminded of it constantly is you are seen that way, regardless of what you can do. You're never too far gone. Never. I could fall into the deepest depression again. I could fall into my temptation again, but God still loves me. And that baffles me every single day that even though I'm not worthy, he still sees me worthy. Even though you might think you're not worthy, he says you're worthy. And he sent his one and only son to die for you. Like how crazy is that? Like it literally blows my mind when I think about how much I'm loved. Cause I, I know that I'm loved by people here, here on this earth, but even if I wasn't, and even when my emotions and my mind and the enemy lies to me and tells me that no one loves me, I can go back to that truth. The truth that no matter what, someone came and died for me because they thought I was worthy of it. And that's what I want to leave you guys with today, with everything that I, I said so much. And there's so much more I could say, but with everything that I've said, I want to leave you with that. You're worthy of someone coming down to this earth, of a perfect, perfect being coming down here and being like, because I love you, I will die for you. Um, and yeah. That's it. That's my story. Wow. Honestly, as like you were speaking, I like make the habit of, you know, just putting like little comments in my head so I could talk about them later. But as I just like, I was just so, so amazed that because this is the first time I'm hearing about this. Yeah. And I'm just like so amazed. I, I like, I like had nothing to comment on. <laughs> I love what you said. I mean, I struggle with that too. With like, I know I said that I'm, I'm just like so amazed about how beautiful God is. But when He tells me that that I can trust Him and that I can like lean on Him and like quite literally just like float in His promises. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's hard. Like so hard for me. And like, I just loved everything that you said that that realizing god's love honestly it's like one of those things where you could you could like memorize it you can memorize the scripture and you could you get it down to your head to like where you could repeat it over and over but then there's it's kind of like knowing that the sun is hot and then realizing just how hot that thing is that was, maybe that was a bad like <laughs> I like the the one that I that I said where it's just like there's imagining how big space is, and then mm -hmm. like the reality of it. It's like God's on a whole another level where where we hear about a man coming down from from heaven, and then when you realize that that man was just was Jesus, yeah, 
and he humbled himself. And like you said, I, I love how you said it, that we're worthy of it. That that reality amazes me all the time because we can like glorify ourselves up as much as we want. But when we compare that to the glory of who God is, and then when we realize that that glory was like poured out on us yeah, for the sake of love, it breaks in every, any person. Doesn't matter who you are. It's amazing. I just loved everything that you said. And I, I thank you for, for sharing this. It, it's never easy. I don't think it ever gets easy, but yeah. I, I appreciate it. And I know I'm like over here and, you know, I help you with, with the podcast and everything, but I was edified completely. I, I, I loved everything that you said and I'll repeat it again and again. <laughs> I don't know if you have anything to say. No? No? Nothing here. Yeah. No, yeah, it's like, it's one of those things where I think this is the first time I've actually told, and I, I like to call it my story, and the story is still ongoing, right? It'll, like, forever be ongoing till I die. Um, but this is the first time I've told it fully. I mean, there's a lot of blank spaces here and there, but where I've said everything, um, and that's scary. And I think that the enemy knew, especially today, <laughs> that something was going to come out of this. If and if nobody got anything from it, which I'm so glad that you did, but if nobody got anything from it, I got some healing from it. Um, because, like I was saying, telling your story is definitely the way to get things out and to start healing your heart. And I'm a big advocate of say it as many times as you can all over the place, wherever you can, um, because it'll help. It'll definitely help. But yeah, that's all I have to say. And thank you so much for listening to me. <laughs>